0: Welcome to episode number 65 of the Marine Layer Podcast. We welcome on Dave Softy Mahler, a recurring guest. We'll talk to him about the Mariners' offseason, his all-star game antics, and a few other topics. We also have our Mariners' starting pitching grades for the 2023 season.
1: Your reminder, if you're listening to this podcast, to go check us out on YouTube. We're on YouTube. We've got a video side to the pod. You can go like, comment, subscribe, and turn the notification bells on over there. And if you're watching on YouTube, Listen to us, too, when you're on a walk, when you're at the gym, driving in the car, on Apple, on Spotify, Google, Amazon. If you do that, you can follow us, download our episodes, leave us a five-star review. The reviews, the downloads really help us out big time. And then on social media, we've been active all off-season. We're going to keep it that way. Check us out on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube Shorts at Marine Pod. Let's get it rolling.
0: And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording here on Sunday, October 8th. You'll be hearing this when Lyle and I are on vacation. I'm sure we're having a blast right now.
1: Oh, 100%. If people are listening to this on Wednesday, we're probably somewhere on either Coney Island or in Dumbo. I think that's the itinerary for the first day. So far, the weather looks pretty good, so... Hopefully, people are enjoying their time off in the offseason. Hopefully, it's not Rangers-Astros in the ALCS, although it seems like it might be that way as we sit here recording right now.
0: I think that's pretty unfortunate. But in the meantime, if you're like us and don't want to watch Rangers-Astros, we have our starting pitching grades for the Mariners for the 2023 season for you on this fine day. So let's get into it. First up, Lyle, let's start off with the ace of the staff. What is your 2023 grade for Luis Castillo?
1: So I debated back and forth with this. What I ended on for Luis was an A minus, and I gave him an A minus because he's still going to probably finish top five in AL Cy Young voting. He had a great ERA, three thirty four. He had, like a bunch of his peripherals were great. His fastball, by the way, was awesome this year. But I just can't get over the fact that some of his underlying numbers were not great. One. And then two, I'm sorry, but those last two starts do knock him down a little bit for me because when they needed him the most, he just was not there. We talked about it. That Saturday start was his worst one as a Mariner. So he is your ace. He's the guy you expect to be your ace. But look, he still had a really good year. An A-minus is a really good year, but it just wasn't quite the A I thought it was going to be about a month ago. So I gave him an A-minus.
0: I had him at an A until those last two starts. Even if he wasn't going to win the Cy Young, I still thought he had an A-worthy season. But those last two starts, to be honest, dinged him down a whole grade because you sign him to that contract, you trade for him to pitch in those starts, and he was not good enough. In fact, not only not good enough, just not competitive. Overall, though, like you mentioned, a great season for Luis Castillo. There were some interesting trends. You mentioned the underlying trends were not great. This year, as a guy, Castillo, who throws a sinker and throws a changeup and gets is supposed to get a lot of ground balls, lowest ground ball rate uh, of his career in a full season, his expected numbers across the board were the highest since his first full big league season in 2018. And we like Van Graaff's war. He was 10th. Even if he's going to finish top five in Cy Young, in an accumulation stat like war, he was 10th and he's pretty much a full two wins behind the top three, I would guess, in the American League Cy Young at the top, which it, which a, that's a pretty big gap, isn't it?
1: It is a big gap. And it's just weird because for so long, Luis Castillo's changeup was his best pitch. I don't know what's happened to it over the last couple of seasons, especially this year, but he's just kind of lost it. The trade-off to that is while he's kind of lost his change-up, his fastball's only gotten better and better. I mean, look at what he did with his fastball this year. It was, it was awesome. I mean, it was toward the top of the league in terms of fastball run value. Thing is, his change-up was at negative nine, which for a guy that had it in the 20s for a lot of his career, in terms of run value, I don't know. It just totally fell off. And guys hit it hard this year, too. So he's evolved a little bit as a pitcher in that way. It is too bad because if he still had his change-up, he'd probably just be another level elevated. But that did hurt him this year, the lack of the change.
0: And there's a combination of that, too. You mentioned the, the run value on that changeup. He also threw his changeup less than he's ever he ever has in his career at just 15%. In fact, I think only he's only thrown one pitch in his career less than he threw his changeup this season. And just to think of that, run value is not a, a rate stat. It's a, it's a total stat. It's an accumulation stat. So he managed to have a negative nine run value on that pitch despite throwing it the fewest he's thrown of any pitch in his career which is troubling and if you think about it this way as well he threw his fastball more his fastball is a great pitch but when most of your pitches you're relying on like your sinker and your fastball which he throws a majority of the time are thrown hard then that's going to lead you to getting hit harder and that reflected in some of the numbers he had in hard hit rate, he was 30th percentile, Barrel rate, 25th percentile. And when you throw your pitches hard and up in the strike zone, that's going to lead to less ground balls as well and leads to the, the low ground ball rate that I mentioned earlier as well. And against some teams, it doesn't work out. And it didn't work out the final two starts of the 2023 season. Strikeout wise, still great. 27% strikeout rate, 7% walk rate. When you're trading for a guy and giving up blue chip prospects, this is the kind of season you're having. Yeah. If this is the kind of season you have, you're thrilled. You're absolutely thrilled. Mariners have them under contract for a number of more years after this. But sometimes when you need your guys to step up and do a little bit more, it, it, you expect it out of guys like Luis Castillo. And I, and I don't think he did it. And it's unfortunate because just a month ago, we thought he was going to finish second in Cy Young. And not anymore.
1: He's probably going to finish fourth or fifth, if that. I would guess still in the top five. And look, we're making it sound like we gave Castillo a C. We're not. Like he got an A- minus for the year. Again, his fastball run value was in the 100th percentile of the league. So toward the very, very top of the league. Guys hit 165 against it. His year as a whole was still really good. You're talking about a dude that ranked fifth among AL starters in ERA, top 15 in baseball in ERA. He still had a great year. But TJ's absolutely right. If this was one season ago, we're probably giving Luis an A, because you look at what he did at the end of the year last year, that Blue Jays start in the playoff game, one of his best starts ever, one of the best Mariner starts ever. He was still solid against the Astros, too. At the end of the year in 2022, Luis did exactly what he was supposed to do. Just wasn't the case this year, and, and it knocked him down a letter grade. So by the way, I gave him an A-. minus. You didn't say exactly what you gave him. Is it an A- minus or a B-? It's an A-. minus.
0: Yeah, I gave him an A-. minus.
1: Okay. So we're about on the same page there which all by all accounts is a really good season for Louise. Our hope is just come 12 months from now he picks he picks up the gears a little bit as September October roll around. I think that's fair, right?
0: Yeah. His numbers last year, the expected numbers are pretty similar to this season. He's just had some interesting results season by season. The the like starters do have season by season variance with the results. His expected numbers have honestly been pretty similar throughout the years so I think this year also is just a little bit you know we talk about the bell curve of results on this was more on the poorer side of results for Luis and I wouldn't be shocked if his ERA goes back lower closer to what he had a season ago in 2022 opposed to what he had in 2023 it was tracking that way but the final two starts of the season really kind of kind of dawned on him there and that's unfortunate for him because the Mariners needed him They continued to label him as the ace, and unfortunately, in the two biggest starts of the season, didn't pitch like it.
1: I will give him credit for this, though, as we wrap up Luis. I know this is kind of a boomer stat, but he threw almost 200 innings. In fact, each of the first three Mariner starters did. That still goes for something. The fact he was such a workhorse, he made all of his starts. That matters.
0: Yeah, you had three workhorses in the rotation, and that's going to be a plus on all three of these guys. We'll we'll talk to all those three guys in order. I would like, I think you, you think about this, it's like, are they going to get to 200 innings, all three of them next year? May ro- Rotations don't usually have three 200-inning starters, not in today's game. And the Mariners have three guys who are very, very, very close to hitting that mark. I think the leader in innings this year
1: was, what was Garrett Cole at 209? I think that's it. And Luis had 197, so not far off. Yeah, like that,
0: it's, it's crazy how, how it's dropped off. And, and we sit here and look at it. It's like, well, actually, we thought Luis pitched a dis- decent amount of innings. And think about this. If he, if he just pitched, his, pitched a normal six-inning start each of his final two starts of the season, he's at 200 innings. He's over 200 innings.
1: Yeah, yeah that's pretty wild. Before we get to our next starter, quick word here from our friends over at Pagacha's Pub 85. So, Pagacha's Pub 85 in Kirkland. Look, guys, there's still MLB playoff games going on. There's still college football going on. There's still the NFL going on. Basketball and hockey are about to start. What did we say on our last show for Speak Your Mind? October's the best month of the year for sports. So, if you're looking for somewhere to watch, head over there. Head over to Pogaccia's Pub 85. It's just east of 405. It's got some good parking, some awesome pizza, some awesome drinks. And if you're looking to get there a little bit early, you'll be in luck because they've got some happy hour specials. Monday through Friday, they, their happy hours are 2 to 6 p.m., which include $3 domestic beers, $4 Manny's blue moons, $4 mac and jacks, $4 wells, and $4 house wines. So if you want some great food, some great drinks, an awesome place to hang out with some friends, go over to pagacha's Pub 85 in Kirkland, Can't recommend it enough. Second starter, George Kirby. Second season, his first full season in the big leagues. TJ, what's his grade? I gave him an A. Different from Luis because it is
0: George's first full season in the big leagues. And we could, entering this season, we could not hold him to an ace expectation. So that's why he gets an A. Also, down the stretch, George Kirby was not an issue. He pitched just fine in the final 10 days of the season when the Mariners needed him the most. In fact, if you think about it this way, he had a blow-up start on June 7th versus the Padres. Since that mark, George Kirby went six or more innings in 14 of 19 starts to finish the season. That's consistency right there. And he did also end up leading the American League with the... Or, sorry... Ended up leading baseball with the lowest walk rate in baseball. So there's a lot of things that you you expected with George Kirby at the start of the season. And I think he met most of them. We can nitpick here and there. But in the end, George Kirby finished as a top six, top five starter in the American League. And his expectation going into next season is to win a Cy Young. That qualifies as an A grade
1: for me. We're two for two here. I gave Kirby an A. And he's different than Luis. He doesn't strike out as many guys as Luis. That is something Kirby can still improve on. But when you do everything that he does between the command, the hard fastball, everything, and not to mention the fact that he had a, almost a full win higher than Luis in terms of F4, that does stand for something. Their ERAs are pretty similar, but the fact Kirby had a full win above Castillo, that's going to bump him up a great. And we saw what he did with his fastball this year. We're talking about fastball run value again. Well, he didn't strike a ton of guys out. His fastball run value is in the 98th percentile of the league. He throws it extremely hard. He has pinpoint command with it. He has pinpoint command with basically all of his pitches. And not just not only did he lead baseball in walk rate, he led baseball in walks per nine, too. What was his walks per nine, you ask? Well, it was less than one. 0.9 that led baseball. I think George Kirby is an ace at this point. And I think he absolutely, absolutely deserves the A grade that we're giving him.
0: I think if George Kirby gets an A next year, I'm going to need to see a plus plus secondary out of him. If we're going to hold him to an ace level pitcher, plus plus secondary pitches needed. He has plus secondary pitches. His splitter this year, he only threw it 6% of the time, but he got a 41% strikeout rate on that pitch but all of his other off-speed pitches, the strikeout rates on all of those pitches were just in the teens, which doesn't quite cut it for an ace-level pitcher. You need a go-to pitch to certainly get guys out. His fastball was good in that retrospect. His splitter was great. The rest of his pitches were very eh. So we see George Kirby having some of these blowouts, blow-up starts. I mentioned the Padres start. Remember in that start, the Padres just started hammering him. He was He was throwing it so much, he was throwing so many of his pitches in the strike zone and the Padres just kept barreling it up. That's a problem when you have a control pitcher who doesn't have a definite pitch to get a swing and miss in the strike zone. Occasionally, he's just going to get hit around because these are big league hitters and they can hit pitches that are thrown in the strike zone. Well, if George Kirby develops a pitch like his splitter that he's comfortable throwing more than 6% of the time, it starts in the zone, ends out of the zone, and hitters are flailing at it then that's really a step towards becoming an ace. But he's got all the other peripherals
1: down in that sense. He could use a little bit bit more swing and miss, that's for sure. I also don't think his September was great. His final couple starts were great, but he had a stretch there too where he was really getting knocked around. So that's an area where Kirby can improve. And look, we're nitpicking. Every starter goes through a rough patch in a season, Kirby included. In September... Again, he, he wasn't as good as he was in some other months. The last two starts he was, but he had some trouble in the month of September and a little bit of late August, too. So if, if you want to look at that, yeah, that's an area where finish the season strong would be something people can watch for in the coming years. But we're talking about a guy that had his first full season under his belt this year. We're Again, I can't stress it enough. We're nitpicking. George Kirby was, George Kirby was the best pitcher on the staff this year especially by war. He was the best pitcher on the staff. And I think when you look at a lot of factors, he was the best pitcher on the staff. So what does he do going into next year? Well, kind of like you just alluded to TJ, TJ, if he gets one of those off-speed pitches to become more of a whiff pitch, that takes him up to an A plus if he can really repeat what he did this year and only add to his arsenal in terms of the swing and miss he's getting. Because he already finished sixth in the American League in F4 this year. He's probably going to finish top five to seven in Cy Young voting. But he can conti- he can continue to take even more steps, which is what's so exciting about Kirby and what shows people that while he's in an A right now, oh, he could get up to an A-plus here sooner rather than later. And we learned in
0: September, he had to get better emotionally as well. He, in September, when things weren't going great, we saw that side of George Kirby come out publicly to the media and show frustration. And now he is experience that like Jared has experienced frustration and some of the other guys on this team that didn't voice it publicly, publicly have experienced frustration as well. It's only natural. It's only human for George Kirby when he's out there on the mound. Looks kind of like a robot. He's just extremely locked in. So now he's got that under his belt as well. And we expect next year probably not to be complaining about coming out after 90 pitches, we would think.
1: Probably not. If I had to bet, I think he's learned his lesson, and I think he'll probably keep that stuff in-house if he has issues with it. But for all we know, he'll be even more built up next year. So for all we know, he could be extending his pitch count into the triple D. I mean, he extended his pitch count a lot this year, but he may be even more built up to the point next year where he's going even deeper into games, which is crazy to think about because he already goes deep into games so often. But we could see George Kirby throw a handful of CGs next year all
0: those innings and he didn't even crack 200, but I think we we both expect him to hit 200 innings next year. I'd be kind of surprised if George Kirby doesn't make every start next year, if he makes every start next year and doesn't cross 200 innings. If he doesn't, maybe something's wrong, but we'll have to see. So George, George Kirby, a from me, a from you as well.
1: Yeah, he gets an A And, and again, he's only building. He can only get, I think he can only get better from here.
0: Last note for me on Kirby, he was one of just 11 starters with a strikeout minus walk percentage of over 20%. And if you look at the other starters in that list, they're all strikeout guys. George Kirby's the opposite. He's just not a walk guy. <laughs> right.
1: Do we think he turns into a strikeout guy at some point?
0: Could. He, he, he He's not going to be Spencer Strider ever. Probably not. That's a That's a pretty high bar to clear. But could he go from the 22% he's at now to... sure i don't see i don't see why not
1: so his case per nine are at 8.1 right now could it get up to closer to 10 at some point is what i'm getting at
0: yeah okay i i think so too he throws too hard not to velocity is good velocity equals better breaking stuff as well most of the time
1: yeah i'd agree This fall, stream your favorites and discover more with Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus
2: together. Watch the highly anticipated new season of Loki and see the ghosts materialize in Haunted Mansion on Disney Plus. Catch more frights with The Boogeyman and American Horror Story: Delicate on Hulu, and on ESPN Plus, get into the action with college football and NFL. All of these and more streaming now. Get the Disney bundle with plans starting at nine ninety nine a month. Plans with ESPN Plus starting at $14.99 a month. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details.
0: Okay, let's get to our third pitcher, Logan Gilbert. What is your grade for Logan Gilbert this season?
1: I give Logan an A- and we talked about it. Another awesome year. His ERA was a little bit higher than Luis and George's was, so that's something you have to take into account. Although I will say his peripherals were pretty similar to Luis. Look, Logan's another guy that just pounded the strike zone this year. He wasn't walking anybody while he wasn't at George Kirby level. He wasn't far off. His walks per nine ranked fourth in baseball, which was a massive step for Logan this year. Another guy that threw nearly 200 innings. And he just took another step. Like when, when the Mariners needed him down the stretch, he had some pretty good starts toward the end. So Logan Gilbert, again, he can continue to get better, just like Kirby can. But I gave him an A- for the year. I give him a B plus, Mostly because I'm, I'm judging
0: him like sl- on a shelf, I guess, slightly above Kirby, since Logan already had a full season under his belt. And Logan, I think, did what we wanted to see in the offseason. So he, you know, we wanted to see a comfortable secondary pitch. He did it. His slider plus 15 run value this year, this season after it was zero last year. And that helped his arsenal evolve immensely. It helped him down the stretch. It helped him not be how he was as a rookie where he only had his fastball and he was just trying to just throw fastball, throw fastball, throw fastball and, and really struggle at times to get swings and misses. Well, that wasn't the case with, with his slider. The other thing, though, I, I look at a lot of his hard hit stuff that that's where I think it drops into the B minus because I think one thing we really wanted to see was him to get hit a little less hard. His hard hit rate was in the 11th percentile, which is an improvement from his previous two seasons, but still not great. And it leaves him susceptible to some issues against in certain matchups. So that's, I guess, where I had there. He still had a great season, over 190 innings, 3.2 Fangraphs wins above replacement walked just 4.7% of his batters and his expected ERA is expected FIP all very good but I thought you know if I was going to give him an A anywhere anywhere in the A I wanted to see him as good as Kirby but he wasn't quite as good as Kirby so I had to go in he had to go a notch below
1: His f war was pretty similar to Luis it was just like a tick or two lower, which is why I I still gave him the A minus. I was like, well, if I'm going to give Luis an A minus, by war, Logan would warrant the same grade. And what did it for me is, well, you're right. The reason it's not an A or an A plus is because he was still getting hit hard. His fastball wasn't as valuable as it's been in years past where he did did get hit a little harder on that four-seamer than he has in the previous couple of years. But what really did it for me is what we saw out of Logan Gilbert last year was he got off to a roaring hot hot start. He was the pitcher of the month in April. He was really good through those first six to eight weeks. And then he hit a wall for a little bit, and he was really struggling for a bit, and he was really struggling for a bit, and it took him a bit to get out of that. This year, I just felt like we had such a model of consistency for Logan Gilbert. It wasn't big hills and valleys. It wasn't an unknown in terms of what you were going to get. Sure, he had his bad starts, just like everybody does, but it was much more... You knew much more what you were getting. And that is what I liked out of Logan Gilbert. In that way, I thought he took a huge step because, again, there was just so much more. I use consistency again because that's what it was. You knew what you were going to get out of the guy almost every single night. So I really appreciated that along with his innings going way up. So that's what bumped it to an A- minus for me. And, yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's, a,
0: that's, a good, that's a good reason. So uh, next year, I would say my to-do list for Logan, like George, throw the splitter more. Logan, like George, when he threw his splitter, he got a 46% strikeout rate on that pitch. Now his command of that pitch escaped him at times, which is why he didn't throw it quite as much. And his slider, right, was pretty good. So he felt just as comfortable, if not more comfortable, throwing that pitch, which was his second most used pitch behind his fastball this season. Again, we'd like to see his fastball get back to the values he had each of his first two major league seasons, where it was plus 12 last year and plus 19 in 2021. And it was his also his worst pitch, uh, getting whiffs and getting strikeouts, which if that's your pitch you're throwing the most, that's not a great combination there. So I think we'd like to see Logan get a little bit of that fastball back, especially since he... Is someone who has a, a like a hundredth percentile extension because he's six six, and he still throws hard. He throws over ninety six miles an hour consistently. So you'd think that would lead to a good fastball, and it had his first two seasons. But this season, it just didn't work out that way.
1: I I just wonder if some of the time run value stuff can kind of go up and down from year to year because we know logan gilbert doesn't have a bad fastball but for whatever reason it wasn't clicking for him this year maybe we'd have to do some digging on that it's just weird because again like like his fastball is a good pitch it's just over the course of 2023 he had issues with it
0: yeah it i think that is a that is a deep dive it's like luis's changeup. i mean right. scott service and jerry depoto probably still think luis's changeup is still a pretty good pitch but Hasn't worked out as much in a Mariner uniform. I mean, that pitch, again, went from plus 28 to now minus 9 in the span of four seasons.
1: With Logan, I will say, you mentioned his slider. Can we stop and dive in on that a little bit more for a second? Because what a step that pitch took. You want to talk about how last year it was right at zero, so it was about league average? Look at the jump from 21 to 23. 2021, it was disastrous when he threw his slider. His run value was negative nine on that pitch. That thing was getting hit all over the place. Look at now. He was in the 99th percent, or sorry, not 99th, but 95th percentile of breaking ball run value. That's a really good slider that he threw. And those are massive jumps that he's taken in just a two-year stretch. When as a rookie, he just couldn't land it. And we're going to draw some comparisons
0: with Bryce Miller's season when we get to him next. But exactly that pitch is one of the biggest reasons he had all this success this season one last note for me on logan gilbert and i think i don't know if people appreciate this enough this dude has made every single start he's been penciled for since he debuted every single one that's pretty rare you you draft a guy in the first round he's in the big leagues within 3 seasons and then he's essentially now have has full three full big league seasons and he has not missed a single start he has been durable He's gone out there every time. We haven't heard a peep from him. We didn't have to talk about Logan Gilbert complaining about getting yanked after 90 pitches. He's just gone out there, and he's done his job. No matter what kind of stuff he has that night, he's gone out there. He's picked up the rock, and he's done his best to make the team go forward and win.
1: I'll tell you what, when we did hear from him, when I talked to him this year, A-plus dude. We gave him an A-minus for his season grade on the mound. A plus dude, such a good guy with everybody. And, and you're right. He doesn't complain. He doesn't call out his teammates, anything like that. And, and on top of that, which I think is like the bare minimum that, you, you know, you don't put quotes out there to the media. You don't throw your teammates under the bus publicly. It's nothing like that with Logan. In fact, it couldn't be more the opposite. He is just an awesome, awesome down to earth guy. It's like Scott and Jerry always talk about. He's the nicest dude ever when he's off the mound. And then as soon as he hits the mound, nobody wants to be near him because he looks like he wants to kill somebody.
0: What does Logan need to do next year to repeat this grade?
1: I think he has to keep up with his slider. I think the slider has to stay at least consistent, even if it's not quite as good this next year as it was this year, somewhere in the same ballpark. I think he has to get his fastball back. And I do think the strikeouts could go up a little bit. So his strike, like his case per nine, it's not bad. It was just under nine. But Logan's a guy that has good enough stuff where it could be higher than that. So I think it would be those three things that could really take him a step above next year. Oh, and by the way, he keeps throwing strikes the way he's throwing them.
0: He sits right now 58th percentile in strikeout rate. Remember, we do have to take into context the strikeout environment of the league itself. So uh, about 23, I think it's 23.8% is league average. So he's slightly above average. I think we both agree his stuff has the potential for him to be well above average. So maybe 70th percentile, maybe a little bit higher than that if he's going to take that next step forward on top of continuing to throw strikes. And again, somehow managing to limit the hard contact because the 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 if if Logan really wants to take a step and become an all-star and all that, you can't be getting hit hard within the bottom 10% of baseball. It's really difficult to pull it off when, some of these opportunities, teams can just jump in the box and, and hit you pretty hard. So I think that's where I stand on that. Regardless, though, Logan Gilbert, another excellent 2023 season. Before we get to our final two pitchers of this starting pitcher grades for a 2023 season, let's hear from BetterHelp. Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals Regardless if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or you're a human who lives in this world and is going through a hard time, therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a very different way. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. This is an important message because finding a therapist can be really hard, especially when you're limited to options in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you with a professional therapist in a little, in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. There's a link in our description. It's BetterHelp.com slash MarineLayerPod. That's BetterHelp.com slash MarineLayerPod. Marine Layer Pod. Clicking that link helps support this podcast, but also gets you ten percent off your first month of BetterHelp, so you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you. So if you're struggling, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description or visit BetterHelp.com/slash Marine Layer Pod. Okay, Lyle, Bryce Miller, what is your grade for him for the 2023 season?
1: I'm going to follow that question with a question. Are we grading him on a curve or not?
0: I have him.
1: He's not graded on a curve for me. Okay, so I didn't either. And not on a curve, I put him at a B-. minus. And look, Bryce Miller had his struggles. Second half of the year, you could see he started to hit a little bit of a wall. His fastball started to get hit hard. The league figured him out a little bit, which is pretty normal for a rookie. But when you look at what he did as a whole, first off, The fact that he probably was not expected to throw as much as he was this year, but the fact Robbie Ray went down, they needed a permanent replacement once he got Tommy John, and it was Bryce Miller who stepped in and pitched like an above-average big league starter over the course of the time that he was in the majors, which is a lot to ask for out of a rookie, making the jump from double-A, might I add, but he did that. You're talking about a guy that among AL rookie starters, he was second in F4, only behind Tanner Bybee. That stands for something. Among all rookies, he was fifth, and he wasn't walking guys either. Bryce Miller was not perfect, but the Mariners weren't even close to making the postseason without him, so I gave him a B-. minus.
0: In an ideal world, Bryce Miller, I think, comes up in the bullpen this year and fills out, not in an Eduardo Bizzardo role, like, oh, well, maybe in that slot, like sixth guy in the bullpen, probably. I think that's what we thought at some point this season he was going to occupy. But he ends up getting shoved into the rotation, and... For most of the season, does well. I think he I gave him a C plus. I think he got bumped down a grade because of his final two starts of the season. I know he was out of gas. The Mariners needed games. And if I'm gonna be objective and not great on a curve, I think that's fair to bump him down because of those two. But regardless, just think about some of the things he did really well. First of all, came up and he threw a ton of strikes. Rookies struggle with command sometimes. He did not. He threw a lot of pitches in the strike zone. Sometimes he got hammered. But sometimes he would have these outings where he would he would be in probably the top 5% of baseball in getting whiffs. There's a couple starts, like against the Angels in August or against the Rays in July. He comes out, or actually that was at the end of June, regardless, same, same series. He comes out and he flashes stuff that would rate in the top, of baseball, and he'd get 20 swings and misses in the span of four or five innings, which isn't easy to do. But Bryce Miller showed at times he can do that, and he can do it in a starting role as well. However, there were too many times where he'd come out, he wouldn't have enough swing and miss. He wouldn't have feel for any of his other pitches besides his fastball. And then when he'd get into the fourth or fifth inning, his velocity would dip and he'd start to get hit around a little bit. My to do list for Bryce Miller this offseason. Feel comfortable with one of your off-speed pitches that you are 100% dialed in to throw because that wasn't where he was at this season. It gave a lot of Logan Gilbert 2021 vibes where he just didn't trust any of his off-speed pitches enough to help him get out of counts down the stretch of the season.
1: And Logan's fastball, at least by run value, was actually a lot better than Bryce Miller's was as a whole in terms of their two rookie seasons when you compare them which is why Logan, at least by the ERA, might have had... Well, I guess their ERAs were fairly close when they were both rookies. But you're right that there are similarities between 2021 Logan Gilbert and 2023 Bryce Miller. I'm in the same boat as you. For Bryce to take the next step next year, he has to learn a true third pitch. I know he threw a few different pitches over the course of the year. Some of them were just scattered in. But he needs a true third pitch. If he's going to stick with the fastball and the slider, that's great. But there's got to be some other offering that he can get to that really gets swing and miss and can be effective because what do most starters need they usually need three pitches obviously there's the guys that are exceptions like Tyler Glass now but most guys need three pitches so if you're Bryce Miller I think the offseason's got to be dedicated to learning whether it's refining the changeup, adding a split or something like that to really get some bite on his pitches rather than sweep or just heat and find ways to get swing and miss I think a
0: slider needs to be better, too. It was fine. It was slightly above average results-wise on run value. Not a perfect estimator, but plus three is not a true out pitch. It's it's fine. It worked. It was serviceable. It was not his sweeper, by the way, which got crushed. His sweeper, he might, he might just scrap it. If not, he needs some sort of refinement on that pitch because that pitch was getting hit all over the yard when he was throwing it. Over the plate. I think what's interesting with this fastball, the run value was zero this season. Did you see what the stuff plus on it
1: was? Enlighten me. It's 121. So that is reason for optimism. That means he was 21% above league average for those who don't follow stuff plus or those hundred scale metrics on terms of, in terms of what his fastball did this year. So in terms of pure stuff on the heater, we know that. It's really good. It had 20 inches of rise on it, which is nuts. He's just going to have to find some ways to mix some other pitches in so his fastball can be that effective.
0: I think he tried doing that a little bit more down the stretch with varying results. He had a better August. September, he had an ERA over six. And if you look at his fastball progression throughout the season, the final two months of the season, he threw his fastball under 50% of the time, which for him is... Uh, pretty massive he ended the season throwing his fastball a little under 60 percent of the time but the final two months he really did try to make that adjustment however we got to september and october the rangers and the astros were waiting and it seemed they weren't they weren't too fooled by what they saw from bryce miller globe life park for these final two pitchers was just a nightmare this season i i don't think they want to pitch there if if that if there's an option not to
1: Speaking of that last pitcher, we ready to get to our last guy here? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so Brian Wu, what's your grade?
0: I have a B minus because his underlying numbers were a little bit better than Bryce's. Actually, they were better than a little bit better. They were significantly better than Bryce's. Expected stats, expected ERA, expected batting average, average exit velocity wasn't hit quite as hard. His strikeout rate and whiff rate were higher. His barrel rate, hard hit rate, and his extension were all great as well. Those lead you to have more confidence that those can hold up season over season and lead to better results when he's a little more, has a little more durability on the mound. He was out of gas at the end of the season. We knew that. He probably wasn't supposed to be pitching in September. Somebody else, I'm sure, was supposed to be pitching in September because Emerson Hancock got hurt, and Marco Gonzalez was out for the season, and Robbie Ray had Tommy John. And you didn't trade for a starter at the deadline, but this is not a trade deadline complaining episode. He had to pitch in September, and the results were pretty bad, especially when they needed him in those final two starts. Just be competitive, and and he was not. His grade, again, probably goes up to a B outside of those final... I'd say if second to last start was bad. They did win his last start of the season. He was a little bit all over the place, though, in that one, if you remember it.
1: He didn't give up a run, but he didn't last that long because he threw a ton of pitches early and they had to get to the bullpen. So yeah, they did win his last start. For me, I gave Wu a B minus, which is similar to Miller's. And you're right. I did look at the peripherals in terms of Wu's expected num- numbers were better. His savant page is much more red than Bryce Miller's was. What knocked it down a little bit for me, and and maybe this isn't fair, but it's just the fact that Wu couldn't really work deep into games the way Bryce Miller could. And part of that is because Wu was obviously on a pitch count and an innings limit this year. So he wasn't giving guys the distance the way that Bryce Miller could, especially early on with Bryce Miller and just how dominant he looked. So that knocked it down a little bit. And again, that's really no fault of Brian Wu's. It's just something that he's going to have to continue to build up as time goes on is working deeper into games. But I think it's fair to say, What we learned this year is while Bryce Miller and Brian Wu both have the potential to be really good, we learned that Wu's ceiling is definitely higher just in terms of of the pure stuff of his pitches, the mix that he has, and how good his fastball is along with Miller. So so all that combined, Brian Wu has a really high ceiling. It's just the matter of the last couple starts weren't great. His command could get a little bit better. And again, he's just going to have to learn to work deeper into games too.
0: I had another caveat with Wu, which has bumped his grade up a little bit. Like He wasn't supposed to be in the big leagues this year. In in an ideal world for the Mariners, he's pitching in double-A, I think, all season. They they just wanted to stretch him out and manage his innings. And then next season, you put him in the rotation at age 24, and he's good to go. But no, they had to put him in there. And he, outside of—I took this stat from your article, by the way, on JustBaseball.com— Outside of those two Texas starts, he had an ERA of three three two. That plays in every major league rotation in baseball, every single one, whatever, outside of the peripherals or not. If you're if you have a three three two ERA at your in your age twenty three season with great expected sats, a great Savant page, great strikeout and walk rate, he did. He was not the most crisp when it came to command and controlling runners on the base paths, but overall the the swing and miss. The repertoire he had, his eventual combination of his fastball, his sinker, and his cutter, were all all led to be very successful at the big league level. Again, off speed or sorry, breaking pitches in the offseason is a is a to do for him.
1: Definitely. But the fact he's got two fastballs that work so well, that's pretty exciting because guys did not hit it, even as a rookie, which makes us believe it's probably only gonna get better. So, again, it, we're nitpicking here. Miller and Wu, for both being rookies, were both very good. And if they were on a curve, both of them are probably closer to a B-plus or A-minus if we're just grading them among rookies and for what they did compared to expectations for their first season. But, in, again, I, I just knocked Wu down a little bit because, again, like his, obviously his last couple starts weren't great, and I think his command can get a little bit better, and I obviously think he can start to work deeper in the game. But... Give Brian Wu two to three years. You're talking about a potential frontline starter. I have one more grade to give out. Ready? Okay. Rotation
0: health. Got a D minus. I couldn't quite give it an F, but it was pretty close to an F. I'm not going to lie. They missed Robbie Ray. I got to tell you, I was really looking forward to watching Robbie Ray this season. And we got an entire three and a third innings of Robbie Ray. And that's it. And we won't see him until the All-Star break next season. I think this team's in the playoffs if they have Robbie Ray. Not not taken away from Miller or Wu, but they're a playoff team with Robbie Ray.
1: They're in the playoffs, and both you and all our listeners that took your gambling advice at the start of the year are a lot richer. Did did he strike out 206 guys in those three and a third innings? I can't remember.
0: Uh, I don't think so. What shitty is, if he got injured before the season started, everyone's bets would have gotten refunded. (laughs) <laughs> but no, he did actually start a game so i screwed some people out of some money i do know uh, one of our friends decided to run right to the sports book and put his money down and well he was not very happy about it
1: well your exact words to people were take your mortgage and put it on robbie ray over 205 and a half strikeouts so yeah you were Oops. you were confident with, to be fair, nobody thought he was going to get injured in his first start of the year. But you're right. In all seriousness, they absolutely missed Robbie Ray. A lot of people have things to say about him these days. Obviously, I think some have the burning image of Jordan Alvarez still pinned into their heads. But if you look at Robbie Ray from 2022, the stat was from June 8th and on, I believe. z r a ERA was sub three. Robbie Ray, in a lot of ways, was one of the better starters in the American League from about mid June and on of his first season in Seattle. So in 2022 people forget that guy was pretty valuable for him. He wasn't perfect, but he was valuable and he threw a lot of innings. So to lose him, to lose Marco, certainly to lose Emerson Hancock. And that's the one I highlighted because when they were set to go to a six man rotation and get more guys rest, it was probably going to help. And then when Hancock got hurt, that couldn't happen. So yeah, in a lot of ways, the Mariners did not have a lot of great luck in terms of rotation health. Besides all that, They still had five guys that pitched unbelievably well for their standards.
0: I'm going to give an honorary shout out to Easton McGee. His one start earned an A.
1: Yeah, it did. I didn't really know what to make of that. I was like, so are they going to let him keep going? Is he going to get another turn in the rotation here? And then unfortunately for him, it it led to Tommy John.
0: To be honest, seeing how the season played out, they could have used him. (laughs) Yeah,
1: at least to eat some innings. If he had done yeah. something similar to what Marco does, which, I mean, that's not really fair because Marco's a veteran. He he does throw a lot of innings. There are starts he turns in that are very good. But if McGee had just found a way to go, I don't know, five and three every start, that would have been valuable.
0: It would have been. And it was sorely missed. And a reason that we are sitting here talking off season instead of talking playoffs, which have been going on, the American League Division Series going on right now when this comes out. The American League Championship and the National League Championship Series will be in full swing. I'm sure we'll have some thoughts on it at the time, but uh, you'll have to wait until after we get back from vacation to hear about that. Speaking of interviews, a recurring guest on today, Dave Softy Mahler. I'm excited to hear what he has to say about some of the things he did at the All-Star break. He was making <laughs> headlines, and I'm I'm excited to dive into that with him.
1: We didn't expect anything less, did we? He was making headlines. And for anybody who's listened to Softy on KJR, who listened to him on the first time he was on with us, you know how he is. And this is his personality. And there's a reason he's so popular around here. And and we're looking forward to talking to him, especially because we're going to talk to him after a disappointing Mariner season. Let's put it like this. The interviews in terms of difference between him and Mike Salk are probably going to sound a little different. Just a little bit. Let's not keep you any longer. Let's
0: get to our interview with Dave Softy Mahler. All right, we welcome on Dave Mahler. You know him as Softy, now a recurring guest on this show. Dave, we appreciate you taking some time to join us. Uh, Before we get into the main meat of this show, we want to start off actually on a different foot. I'm going to throw it to Lyle. He actually has something he wants to to say. (laughs)
1: So Softy, I thought we'd call something back here, because the last time we were on, we were talking about the off season and the lack of signing a shortstop, and when I gave my opinion, which was, I didn't lose sleep over it, your exact words were to stop with my stupid-ass opinions about shortstops and payroll. Yeah. All I'd like to say is, all yeah. I'd like to say is, here we sit at the end of the year, and J.P. Crawford outperformed all four of those guys, so... Hey, if you want to take it back, you, you, got, you got a free space to do it here.
2: No, no. They should have moved J.P. to second base and signed a shortstop. That's what they should have done because they had a giant hole as big as your head at second <laughs> base this year that was never filled. If they were smart, they would have put J.P. Crawford at second base and they would have signed somebody else to play shortstop. You see what Carlos Correa is doing right now with Minnesota? You've been watching him, by the way, the last couple of weeks. If they were smart. They would have moved J.P. to second base, and they would have signed a shortstop, and you would have had the best of both worlds path. So, look, what I will say is that J.P. Crawford had a year that a lot of people did not see coming. I don't care what Lyle said. There's no world where Lyle saw that kind of year coming for J.P. Crawford. The only people that saw that kind of year coming for J.P. Crawford are J.P. Crawford and J.P. Crawford's mom. That's it, okay? Nobody else saw that kind of year coming, not even freaking Lyle. I don't care what he says. So they should have gotten a lot more depth, and it would have been a much different situation if they had moved J.P. Crawford to to second base and signed an actual, excuse me, big star uh, to play shortstop for him. So, look, you want credit? I'll give you credit. You feel better now? You were right. How's that sound? Uh,
1: I like the end of that. That's what you want to hear.
2: That's the only reason why you wanted to have me on, just so Softy would say, Lyle's right. Okay, (laughs) Lyle's right. See you later.
1: I'm out of here. (laughs) Okay. You caught us. No, I mean, I'm, I'm with you that, like, obviously if they'd gotten one of those guys and moved J.P. to second, I think we're in a different spot right now. I guess I guess oh. I just looked at J.P. I mean, I didn't see this coming for J.P. Crawford, but I did just want to call back and say, yeah, he had a pretty good year. So No, he had a great year. He had a really,
2: really good year. I mean, he was obviously a huge surprise for the Mariners this year. There's no question about that, but they needed a lot more, and I'm sure we'll talk about that at the end. They needed a hell of a lot more. Their D.H. Experiment was a freaking disaster. Uh, Left field in the end was a disaster. The fact that you had no choice at the end of the year but to trade your best reliever and a real popular guy in the clubhouse to fix that problem is pathetic. And this is the second time now in three years where Jerry's had no choice but to go out and get rid of a guy that people really, really liked in that clubhouse and kind of held the clubhouse together. The first was Graveman, obviously, three years ago, and now Paulie Seawald. The fact that you could not go out and find Dominic Canzone and Josh Rojas in free agency, and the fact that you had to give up Paul Sewald to get that guy and get those players is unbelievable, man. It's just so frustrating for me.
0: Softy, have you ever left a season with a worse taste in your mouth? Like the Mariners have had a lot of bad seasons, but yeah. has it ever kind of felt like this for you?
2: You know, yeah, it's felt like that for me. I'd say the 96 season coming out of 95, you guys are probably too young to remember that year, Um, but that year I was convinced at the end of that 95 season that the Mariners were on their way to the World Series. I mean, just think about what they had. They had Griffey. They had Alex Rodriguez in his second year. They had Jay Buhner, Edgar Martinez, Randy Johnson. They were really, really good. And that team obviously never made it to a World Series. Maybe the biggest waste of baseball talent all time in the history of the game, for crying out loud. So that year was disappointing. The 2002 season, I think, right, coming off the one year. Yeah. Um, to not even make the playoffs the next year was extremely disappointing. But I, I think when you're talking about the way we felt about the way this year ended, It wasn't just the way the year ended. It was what they said about it on Tuesday at that press conference, right? So here you go. Hey, I mean, for lack of a better term, shit happens, right? And shit happens a lot in baseball. Uh, The best team in baseball doesn't always win the World Series. Look at the Braves and Dodgers right now. They're playing from behind. Look at Baltimore. Baltimore had the best record in the American League, and now they're about to get swept by the Rangers, right? So weird stuff happens when you're playing, you know, a three and a five and a seven-game series, man. So I get that. But I just think the way the year ended, to waste the pitching staff that they had, and then for DePoto to go out there on Tuesday and basically just tell everybody, you're stupid, I'm smart, I know what I'm doing, you don't. The whole 54% thing was garbage. Horrible time to say something like that. Um, their just tone their arrogance. They had, I think guys at that press conference on Tuesday just kind of made a big turd sandwich and even bigger turd sandwich. I think after what happened on Tuesday of last week, was that as bad as
0: you've seen a post game presser be handled in all the sports you've covered?
2: Yeah, it's pretty bad. I mean, I, I remember, uh, when UW lost to Arizona in 98, Jim Lambright gave about a 30 second speech to the media and then got up and left. Uh, Tyrone Willingham, we've seen plenty from him. But I just think for this organization who, let's face it, guys, in 46 years of baseball, they've accomplished nothing of note, nothing. I mean, yeah, you've been to the ALCS three times. Okay, so what? A lot of teams go to the ALCS. You've won a couple of division titles. So what? A lot of teams have a couple of division titles. Um, but for them to be so arrogant and so flippant about what they've done And for a group of guys in DePoto and service that, let's face it, I think we all understand the plan, tear it down, build it back up, get a bunch of draft picks, go young, do what the Astros did. Okay, fine, but you haven't done that yet, right? You haven't proven you can do this. You've never done it anywhere. You haven't proven you can get to a World Series. Your owner hasn't proven that. All this talk about all you want to do is make money and you're not in it to win. Um, What have they done to prove otherwise? Nothing. So I just think that their tone – that they took on that press conference on Tuesday was pretty surprising for a group of guys that, let's face it, should be pretty humble. I mean, they've been here for eight years, and they've made the playoffs one time, and they're acting like, you know, they're the cock of the walk and that they have this unbelievable philosophy that everybody else in baseball should be falling uh, in line for and, and just completely following no matter what they do. But that was pretty surprising, man, for sure.
1: So what we've talked about the whole 54% quote, yeah, it was pretty tone deaf, obviously. And what we've talked about is, so the number is there's five teams in the last decade that have, or yeah. sorry, yeah, in the last decade that have won 54% of their games or more. Three have and, gone to the World Series, right? right. Yeah. And yeah. W- what we said is, obviously, those teams are good. And if you win that amount of games, you're going to be good. The problem is, and TJ was the one who highlighted this, he goes, the Mariners have not won 60% of their games because what DePoto said is, oh, some years you win 50%, some years you win 60 They haven't won 60% of their games yet, so it's kind of hard to digest that when they haven't gotten the top half of what he's referring to either.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, look, I think we all get what he was saying in general. If you're a competitive team for a decade, you're going to find a way to sneak into the World Series. You'll find a way to make the ALCS crazy stuff happens in the baseball playoffs, right? Um, like the Dodgers, for example. The Dodgers have been unbelievable for a long time, and they have one title, right, in that, in that whole run. So I, I get it. But the 54% thing was just a slap in the face to the Mariner players. It was a slap in the face to Mariner fans that this is your attitude. Like your attitude should be, hey, we're going to do everything we can do to make the World Series and win a championship and bring a title to Seattle, Instead, it's, no, let's win 54%. So, you know, this is the we're smarter than you uh, approach that they take. You know, uh, the big brains on Jerry and Scott and the rest of us are just idiots. How do you think the players felt about winning 54% of their games? How do you think that would have flown with Lou Piniella? If Woody Woodward or Pat Gillick or Howard Lincoln or Chuck Armstrong went to Lou Piniella and said, hey, Skip, here's an idea. Let's shoot for 54%. He would have kicked him in the nuts and said, you're crazy. Are you kidding me? There's no way Lou Pinello would have dealt with crap like that. So I just think it's a horrible thing to say to your fan base, and really the timing was even worse. You just blew one of the best pitching staffs in the history of your franchise, and here you are now telling me the main goal is to win 54%. It was just dumb. It was a dumb comment by a guy that I think is actually pretty smart in Jerry. I don't think he's a stupid guy, but it was a dumb thing to say at a really dumb time.
0: Do you have an idea exactly what Lou would say? Like, can you do a Lou impression?
2: Oh, 54%.
1: What <laughs> the hell? <laughs> You're crazy. You're fucking crazy. <laughs> Get the hell out of my
2: face, 54%. I mean, he's looking to win 100 games a year. He's looking to win 95, 90 minimum every single year. So 54%. I don't know, dude. I just... I roll my eyes thinking about the reaction the players had when he said that, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, Um, we we joked saying, can you imagine what that group chat looked like with all the players uh, that day? day I mean, Cal Raleigh. Guys, Cal Raleigh comes out with this
2: impassioned speech about wanting to do better, which, by the way, happens to coincide with Corey Seager, you know, really just kind of complimenting his ownership group on the job that they did. And meantime, Cal Raleigh is being asked by... Scott's service to control his emotions. Do I mean, you think that Corey Seager thing was just a coincidence? Uh,
1: uh, I, th- I, I thought th- I th- there's th- the a timing. Chance,
2: well, Divish said that he thought that Kyle Seager may have asked him to do that. Yeah. I don't doubt that at all. Um, you know, it's just, I cannot believe that a manager would come out and ask his catcher, who has busted yeah. his ass, by the way, for this team the entire year, catching almost every game this season especially down the stretch when Murphy was banged up, for him to come out and tell his guy, hey, control your emotions. You know what my reaction would have been, guys? (laughs) (laughs) Subscribe to the YouTube. You can see what Softy just said. (laughs) That's my reaction because the reaction from Scott Service should have been, hey, you know what? I love what Cal Raleigh said. I love his fire. I love his leadership, and we are damn glad to have that guy as a mariner. That's the kind of fire and passion that we need in a leader. Someone who is willing to go out and say what he feels without any fear of retribution from the ownership whatsoever. A guy who's confident in his abilities, who's a true leader for the franchise. And that's what the Mariners should have said. That's what John Stanton should have said. And that's what service should have said. Instead, they told him to control his
1: emotions. (laughs) Well, you're talking unbelievable. yeah, I mean, so we're talking about reactions here, right? Now, if the Mariners decide to react and actually take action on what Cal Raleigh said and get aggressive this winter, right. another thing we wanted to talk to you about is what does that look like? So I think we can all sit here and say, look, they should go sign Otani and they should give him every dollar he wants. I think we're sure. all in agreement there. Sure. If, if it's not Otani, how else do you want to see the Mariners get better this winter? Well, let's face it. The
2: free agent class isn't what it was a year ago, right? It's just not the same. You had this unbelievable, like, generational group of shortstops, Lyle, available in free agency <laughs> when you could have moved JP to second base and signed somebody else. So those guys aren't out there. Um, so it looks like, okay, so we've got eight starting pitchers. You got five spots Brian Wu, Marco Gonzalez, Robbie Ray. Ro- Robbie Ray's not going anywhere because he's not even ready until probably the All Star game. So uh, Bryce Miller, uh, Brian Wu, um, Maybe a Logan Gilbert. I'd like to hang on to him, so maybe not. But guys like that, go talk to the Mets. Can we get Pete Alonzo from the Mets? He's got a year left in his contract. Can we go to the Padres and talk about what it would take to get Juan Soto? I think what it looks like this year is instead of signing guys in free agency, you're trading for guys that have big money contracts, and you're giving up some prospects to do it, which is exactly why they should have done it last offseason when they did not have to, Lyle, give up any prospects whatsoever, and they could have just bought what they were looking for. Now they need to pay for a guy who's under contract and give up a goddamn prospect in the process to pull it off. You see where this doesn't make any sense? You see where this whole process is flawed? When you have a shopping cart and everything you need on the shelf, and all you have to do is hand over a debit card to pull it off, now you have to hand over your debit card and your firstborn son to get what you're looking for. I mean, it's just it's mind-boggling. It's so stupid. The process is so irritating because now you're going to go out and try to get what you wanted to get last winter, but now you have to give up prospects to pull it off. Imagine signing a guy like a Pete Alonso or a guy like a Juan Soto and, oh, by the way, being able to hang on to Brian Wu and hang on to Bryce Miller and then having those guys as, I don't know, trade chips in July – Next year, when you're going for a World Series championship, man. So the whole thing is just effing ridiculous. The, the approach that they've taken to making this offense better, they, it's like they're brain dead. It just makes no sense at all. None. So what's your optimism level? They, they pull something off that you'd be satisfied with. Oh, I think they have a better chance now because they have some bullets to spend. They have some, they have some, uh, you know, some bullets in the gun uh, to go out and give up. Uh, but they have to do it. They have to make a deal for somebody. They have to make a trade to add an aircraft carrier to this lineup. It's going to be hard because a lot of teams want the same thing the Mariners do. Uh, but, you know, they have to go out and do it. They have to add to Julio and JP and Cal Raleigh. Does uh, Teoscar get re-signed? Uh, Kellick, uh, uh excuse me, Kellick's not your guy in left field long-term. We all know that. They have to make a move there. Uh, second base is a black hole. They have to make a move there. So I, I, I'd i say unless there's just a major, major Bidding war for these guys and the asking price gets out of control. I would say they got a pretty decent shot of adding somebody of significance because now they have trade bait. And they shouldn't have done it this way. They should have gone out and bought it over the off season last year. But here we are.
0: Do you know what your reaction on air is going to be when they if they sign Shohei? Have you thought that Have you thought that out
2: yet? Well, I mean probably something i can't say on the radio when it does happen <laughs> right, yeah. i mean holy fuck right something yeah. like that yeah, you can we can swear say it on, on here. this <laughs> podcast by the way yeah, we can do this oh yeah oh you can I do mean, yeah i mean it would it would <laughs> it would pretty much blow away every perception of the franchise right whatever people have been saying for the last 25 30 years about them really f- almost 50 years you want to get people to shut up you want to get people to you know stop with this narrative that the team doesn't want to win sign Shohei Ohtani. Okay. Do it. And you should do it because every penny you spend on Shohei, you're getting back threefold. I mean, they just got to commit like to whatever the biggest contract offer is for Shohei Ohtani. They have to commit to spending that money because whatever they spend, they're going to get back every penny.
1: Well, I'll tell you who was a big proponent of signing Shohei. It's you and you were vocal about it. So if we go back to all-star week, you were out with your phone at media day and you took the initiative where they were wrapping up the media session. The mediator said, okay, we're not taking any more questions. And you've got your phone out recording and you go, Shohei, what are the odds of you playing here this year? He gives you a shrug. Like, obviously he's not going to answer it directly. It wasn't a no. But you said yeah. to him, it wasn't a no. So he didn't say no, right?
2: Yeah, no. I mean, look, in the end, I think that obviously there's a chance that Shohei is different than other players and wants other stuff. I think when you start making six, $700 million money kind of tends to matter a little bit less, right? Like for example, what I mean by that is this, if the Mariners offer $650 million over 15 years or whatever the hell at 10 years, right? Whatever it turns out to be. And I don't think he's getting that kind of money by the way, because of his arm, which is fine for the Mariners because they don't need the arm. They need the bat. So maybe they, maybe the money's less, maybe it's 450 over 10 years now. I Maybe mean, it's $45 million a year, whatever that money or that number is. The Mariners need to come in and commit to the number, the highest number possible, and then some. Meaning, okay, the Mariners are offering 650 Well, guess what? The Yankees are offering 650 The Dodgers are offering 650 What's different about you? Okay, well, here's what's different about us. We're going to redesign our entire batting cage area just for you. We are going to... Give you a private plane that you can fly around. We're going to give you um, a housing allowance, right? Whatever. We're going to throw in all these toys. We're going to completely restructure our front office and our nutrition program to fit your needs. What do you need? What do you need? What's important to you? What do you want? You want? You want housing? You want a private a, a, a jet? Uh, do you want a brand new uh, weight room? What do you want? What What can we do behind the scenes? To make our offer, which is the same financially, different than their offer. That's where the Mariners have to get creative, for sure. Maybe we can start showing every game for free in Japan. I don't know. I'm just throwing stuff out there, right? Maybe we can play a series in Japan, um, in your hometown, right? Whatever. That's the kind of stuff the Mariners have to start thinking about if they want to sign Shohei Otani.
0: When you're going into that media scrum, were you always going to ask them that, or is that spur of the moment?
2: I was kind of spur of the moment. I walked over there and I saw that he was kind of available. I had an angle with a camera, and so I just said, "Hell, what the hell, Shohei? How about signing here?" And it was a great angle, you know. It was like me and I was like ten feet away from the guy. So I, I was thinking about potentially maybe asking him something about it, and then I saw the window and took advantage of it. Man,
0: how'd you get to the front of that scrum? There might have I think there was like two hundred people there.
2: Yeah, they were kind of like wrapping it up a little bit, and so people were kind of starting to leave and dissipate a little bit. So. Like I said, I kind of had a little bit of a window there that I just kind of jumped on. It's all about timing, boys. Uh,
1: did you always plan to ask Felix Batista something
2: during All-Star Week always, too? Always, 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 always. And I was very surprised at the reaction from Baltimore fans. Uh, you know, I had people that were accusing me of harassing Felix Batista, right? Like, think about in your mind's eye what harassment looks like. That wasn't harassment. That was me walking up to a guy and saying, hey, we got a funny thing going on here. Your social media team is uh, calling you King Felix. What do you think about that? People thought that was like the most offensive thing in the world, right? (laughs) Like people acted like I I was going after his family, for God's sake. So I was really surprised at the reaction. And people were saying, you know, it's the all-star game. He's having fun. He's enjoying himself. Okay, like media day at the Super Bowl. When weirdos dress up as aliens and ask cockamamie questions, that's what Media (laughs) Day is supposed to be all about. That's what this thing is supposed to be all about. So um, I'm still surprised today, guys, that people had that reaction. I really am.
0: Were there not two social media people right there that you could have talked to? No, there was
2: nobody there. I I didn't see anybody there. Yeah, when I saw Bautista, he was just kind of cleaning up and getting ready to walk out to... the dugout, or the locker, or the clubhouse, or whatever. So I, I didn't see any social media people there from Baltimore. You mean like Orioles social media people? Yeah, I
0: could have swore there was a there was yeah, a photographer in the background of your video. There may the have Oriole been a photographer.
2: Yeah, I have no idea who they were with. I wasn't looking at people's credentials. But yeah, I mean, I I, I always wanted to get his thoughts because you remember that morning, uh, Jessamyn McIntyre was on the Space Needle with Felix Hernandez and asked him about it. So I was like, well, the natural follow-up is to go ask that guy. So we got the whole story,
1: never Have you ever gotten pushback on something like that before for like a video like yeah. that? Or- no, I mean, I, I've gotten pushback, but not, not, not like that
2: for a video because Twitter hasn't been around. You know, I mean, we're going back to like, I, I remember in 2016 or 15, uh, game day was in Seattle and I put a bounty out on the old crimson flag um, for like, 500 bucks or whatever, grab the flag, you know, and people lost their freaking mind. Thought it was the worst thing ever. Oh, you can't do that. That's awful. Don't do that. Okay. Well, I'm a Husky fan and the Cougar flag is on my campus and I'm putting a bounty out for it. People went freaking nuts. So the video itself got like 5 million views on Twitter. It was crazy how much activity it got. So yeah, nothing nothing on social media like that. Not yet.
0: So this interview is going to come out next week, but I'm curious, what's the bounty this weekend?
2: For the for game day, oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> you know, I actually kind of hope the Cougar fans show up in droves and stick it to Mac to Pat McAfee. I think he's act he's acted like an ass. I think ESPN has acting like an ass in this whole in this whole saga. You know, I mean they they're 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 very arrogant. They have a a very arrogant tone to them. They think that everyone's beneath them when it comes to college football. Uh, I learned that from Quint Kessenich on the sideline during the Cupcake game against Cal six seven years ago. Uh, You dare question ESPN and you're questioning the king. And so the way McAfee and Desmond Howard and those guys have responded to me is bullshit. And I hope Cougar fans show up and and let McAfee know that on Saturday. I got no problem with
0: that at all. None. Back to the media day thing. Uh, This kind of spurned a question because you've been to Super Bowl media days and such. And you mentioned that's kind of the similar environment as the all-star game media day.
2: It's really not, though. That's the the funny thing is that it's not like that, but it should be like that. Like, this is uh the day where if you want to ask a funky question or, you know, do something kind of fun with a player, media day is when you should be doing it, right? And they do that at the Super Bowl. It's obviously a lot more people. Like, there's thousands of people at media day in the NFL. It's not like that for the All-Star game. There was maybe, I don't know, maybe seven or 800 people there. It's a much smaller event than media day for the NFL, for sure. So what's, like, the best...
0: Well, I would say maybe what's the best question reaction either you've had or what you've seen happen in that setting? Oh God, at a media day type thing. Yeah, and let's say, mean, let's leave. Mar- I would say like Marshawn Lynch yeah. has his own tier,
2: right? So yeah. yeah, that's what I was thinking about is Marshawn. But Marshawn at the Super Bowl with New York or in New York when uh, Dion got to him, Deion Sanders, mm-hmm. um, that was pretty funny and interesting. There, I mean, as far as media day. nothing really comes to mind. I don't really pay a lot of attention to stuff like that, to be honest with you, unless I'm in the mix doing stuff for myself. You know, I mean, we had a lot of fun in New York before the game with Denver, but I don't remember anything specifically that stands out, to be honest with you, man.
1: I guess if we were going to get to one last topic here, Softie, is unless, TJ, you had any other Mariner stuff or media-related stuff. Okay, yeah, so we can kind of move on to our last topic here, which is we didn't get to this with you the first time we had you on, but the three of us are all big Star Wars fans here, and I know you're borderline, like, obsessed with Star Wars. Maybe, I don't know if TJ and I are quite there. We're probably a step behind you, but we are big fans. So if you had to rank your top three movies, what would it be? Uh top three would be... Empire, Episode Four, and Rogue
2: One. Oh yes, those good, are the top good one three right on Rogue there. One. I'd put I Jedi right behind Rogue One, and then I'd probably put Mando and, and Mando and Andor right behind that. So those yeah. those would be my, my top five. I mean, look, it's it's hard for me because I was five years old when Star Wars came out, and so you're a kid and you're like, oh my god, what the hell is this? Right? Unbelievable. So you'll never kind of replace episode four. But just for value and storylines and special effects, Empire Strikes Back to me is number one. I think Empire Strikes Back is the greatest sequel of all time in the history of movies. Number one all-time sequel. And so, you know, episode four right behind it because it was the original. And then Rogue One was amazing. Rogue One was the best thing they've done since Jedi, for sure. 100%. 100%. And then uh, the Book of uh, – not the Book of Boba, but the, the Mandalorian um, and then Andor. Book of Boba sucked, by the way. Yeah. Boba was terrible. You know, I thought it's I thought Obi-Wan was pretty good. O- Obi-Wan was pretty good. Um, I haven't watched the last series yet, Ashoka. I haven't seen that yet. I'm kind of waiting until the whole thing is done so I can watch it all one time. But, yeah, I'd say those are my uh, those are my top five.
0: I'm glad you mentioned Rogue One because I honestly think Rogue One is one of the most one of the more underrated movies out there in the whole Star Wars scope. Because it's right in the middle of the the final three movies that right. came out that people hated. But then you look at the story of of Rogue One. First of all, the just the the cinematics of it is beautiful. It's 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 almost it's almost like perfect cinematically. And then yeah. you realize the story it actually ends, which is Andor, which Episode people four. loved.
2: Yeah, Yeah. well, it goes right in episode four. I mean, the end of Rogue One goes right right into episode four. So when you see the end of episode four, excuse me, of Rogue One, and then you go watch episode four, you're like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. Like, everything that we always wondered about is right there in Mm -hmm. Rogue One. I thought that the AI Leia was a little cheesy, to be honest with you. If they would have made that movie now, it might look a little better. But, um, yeah, dude, Rogue One was badass, man. Badass.
0: And just to think that Andor, which I think by the time it's done will go down as probably the best Star Wars series they've done, will lead into that movie. And then you have a sequence of maybe like the greatest Star Wars cinematics they've done all in a row.
2: Yeah, when they finish Andor, which I hope comes very soon, it was a writer's strike and all that crap. Uh, I think Andor is going to be amazing. Having Andy Serkis in Andor, who played Gollum in Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. he's a really great actor that was incredible um book of boba was kind of a disappointment the best part of book of boba is when man- mandalorian showed up yeah right i mean, that's <laughs> yeah. like what the hell this
0: the, is just just make this the whole the thing the mandalorian trailer essentially exactly
2: yeah exactly but yeah no i mean i'm I'm a big star wars geek dude you come to my house i have all kinds of crap in the in the living room and the, the den and everything and been collecting shit for you know 30, 40 years man so I don't have any kids, so maybe when I die, I'll put you two knuckleheads on my will, and you can have my stuff. <laughs> What's the best collectible? Collectible you have? Oh god, I have a I have a big master replicas uh, Vader Tie Fighter. It's like this big. It's gigantic. Um, I got a, a the original Star Wars Episode Four poster signed by the Hildebrandt brothers, who are the artists that made the Episode Four poster. Um, I mean, it's just too much, man too much stuff. You got to come over and check it out.
0: Yeah. That, yeah. That would be cool. Or, like I don't have any collectibles. I like, I like just ingesting everything period, yeah. watching all the yeah. cartoons multiple times, but yeah. usually that ends up working out.
2: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, if you're like me, they're not action figures, they're collectibles. Don't forget that.
0: Absolutely. Well, Softy, we appreciate you taking some time to hop on here with us today. Best of luck this weekend. Again, by the time this comes out, the game will be over, but I yeah. hope you don't over. Uh, I'm sure you will overdo it, but for, for your sake, for us wishing you well, hope you don't overdo it too much this weekend for for a pretty big game.
2: No, for sure. Say so hi to Keeley, by the way. What's up? How are we doing, Keeley? He's our favorite bartender here at the Emerald Queen Casino. That's where we are on the book right now. This place is awesome. Get your ass down here. It's incredible. Really cool spot.
0: All right. Thanks so much, Softy. All right, boys. Later.
1: Really enjoyed that interview with Softy. As always, we love listening to him. He is certainly a personality. And we appreciate all the time he gave us here in that interview. So that'll just about wrap it up for this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. You want to listen to the full-form podcast, you can do so on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. That's the audio form if you do that. Make sure to follow us, download our episodes, leave us a five-star review. The reviews, the downloads, they truly do help us out a lot. So just take an extra second or two to do that. Watch us on YouTube too. We got a video side to the podcast on YouTube. You can like, comment, subscribe, turn the notification bells on. Watch us on the video side here on YouTube and then check us out on social media. We're staying active all winter and fall, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube shorts. Follow us there at Marine Layer Pod. That's TJ. I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. Talk to you soon.